0: And brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his fortnightly appearance in the program. It's his fortnightly appearance. He's the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest. And in this edition of the program, as he does every two weeks, Eric Longenhagen endeavors here to analyze all prospects. Of particular note this week, is that this conversation with Longenhagen occurs on the eve of his trip to Louisville, Kentucky. Of course, he'll fly into Covington, Kentucky, but then he will drive to Louisville, Kentucky, which is the home of this year and maybe every year's, maybe every year's ACC baseball tournament. The ACC tournament, of course, is notable because it is a place where a number of the draft's top prospects will be playing, and the draft itself is merely a few weeks away. Of course, one of those prospects is Brendan McKay, who plays for Louisville, and he's also one of the conference's top hitters and pitchers. Some teams regard him as the former. Some, the latter, almost all regard him as a first-round pick. We discuss McKay's value, whether it is augmented, rightly or not, by the fact that he is a two-way player. And we discuss the discrete charm of the two-way player in general. Langenegin also discusses the influence of trackman systems installed at certain parks. And he also suggests that it's possible that certain data-driven clubs will be more inclined to select certain players because of the influence of this trackman data. Something to watch out for during the first couple rounds of that draft. Finally, I asked Longan about some first-round picks who were omitted from preseason top 100 lists, but who are performing well this year. Among them, Detroit right-hander Bo Burrows. Bo Burrows performing quite well. And also Pittsburgh shortstop prospect Cole Tucker, one of many talented middle infield prospects. We also discussed Kevin Kramer, who has dropped his ground ball rate. He's a batter. He's a middle infielder, second baseman typically now. He's dropped his ground ball rate by twenty percentage points, and is hitting for much more power in the Pirate system. Okay, let's get to that. Have, did I say anything about uh, the uh, funding? Funding? Can I say? Can I say an advertisement? Listen, Fangraphs membership. Do you would you like to support the work at the site and also maybe Fangraphs Audio? Then you can acquire a Fangraphs membership for a slide, for a reasonable fee for a reasonable sum. For a slightly less reasonable sum, you can acquire an ad free membership. That dot 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 dot. Okay, let's get to the conversation. What is it? It is Fangraph study. Who does the feature Lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen. When does it begin? Right now. What are you doing
1: here? I'm flying to Louisville early tomorrow morning. That's not true. I'm flying to Cincinnati and then driving to Louisville for the ACC tournament. Try to get a look at um, the uh, University of Virginia hitters who are probably both going to go in the first round. Uh, North Carolina has two hitters who have a chance to go the first day of the draft.
0: Wait, let's first of all talk uh, – correct me if I'm wrong. The Cincinnati airport is actually located in Kentucky. Oh, is it technically located there? I (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't know uh i don't i don't i forget the call number for it but or the acronym for it but in, in ways, my point is this i think yeah you oh i think covington i think it stands for covington cvg i believe it's in covington kentucky could be wrong but i'm saying it as though i'm right you you believe me
1: yeah i believe you i probably okay. i shouldn't Based on no. previous podcasts, as I was no. mislead. Or just
0: conversations, Eric. Sure, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it also, think about it this way, it makes sense. Cincinnati is just across the river uh, from Kentucky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. In fact, I could tell you I have uh, some intelligence uh, by way of Travis Sacek. Do you know him, the prolific Travis Sacek? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Travis Sacek, when he... Stays, when he used to cover, uh, do, or do beat reporting, uh, for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, he would stay in Kentucky. they just over the bridge. He would walk over the bridge.
1: Yeah, that so sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. He knows it'll a lot be about my America. first time. It'll be my first time in Cincinnati and Louisville.
0: But you're, but here's my point. You're not going to be in Cincinnati. No. I don't even, I don't think you're, I don't think you'll be in the state of Ohio, Ohio at any point in your trip. Even though you're flying quote unquote into Cincinnati
1: yeah yeah so I might try go. to I might try to enjoy Cincinnati one day uh, oh like okay the, the night before I because I fly out of Cincinnati and I'm flying to Philadelphia mm-hmm. at the end of the week so I might like hang out there and see what you know one night of hanging out in Cincinnati is like but but yeah who knows there's just gonna be a bunch of baseball every day and I think I have to check the Louisville the Louisville bats schedule. Oh okay yeah. But I might be able to squeeze might be able to squeeze that in. I might go to a big league game, I'm pretty sure the Reds are at home uh Monday night when I fly in instead of like Wait, driving but, uh, in.
0: A say the, let me say these words to you. Louisville Bats uh featuring That's to a Triple A for the Reds?
1: Yeah. You
0: are gonna see Jesse Winker?
1: Yeah, it'd be Winker. Uh who else is there?
0: Well, did didn't Garrett get demoted?
1: Yeah, like Garrett and Phil Irvin and stuff have kind of been up and down. Yeah, there's stuff to see there.
0: What about Shed Long? Where's Shed Long these days? Oh
1: man, Shed Long is hitting 300 in the Florida State League, man. Oh, he's okay. in like Florida State League. He's hitting like uh, I think he's up to 306, 370.
0: You sound four, so excited about it. Is that because is he quite young still? I
1: forget. I think he's only 21 still. Yeah. Okay. Oh
0: yeah. All right, Shed Long. That's pretty exciting. What about Vladimir Gutierrez?
1: Uh, He's also in the Florida State. I got a text from someone today who was like, hey, because I've written – you you and I both sort of written about him lately, haven't we?
0: Yeah. So let's say – so so Shedrick Long, I don't know much about him. Isn't he like a catcher slash second baseman? He's a
1: converted – converted from catcher to second base, Mm -hmm. Um, which seems odd and I guess it is. But, uh, but yeah, like he runs really well and should be fine there defensively. He's pretty patient, has some power. Like it's just really good across the board tools. Um, and he hit for pretty, pretty good power last year despite the fact that he was playing through a hand injury. So.
0: And also the fact that he's not, I mean his listed measurables are not, uh, you would not describe him as a physical player based off of those.
1: Yeah, to see to see him, and if you want to see, I know the two two of the the Reds beat writers, uh, including C. Trent Rosecrans, had a video where they talked to him during spring training. And yeah, he's short, but he's like he's shredded. <laughs> he's he's a physically imposing, oh, okay, short okay. dude. Mm-hmm. Vin Diesel body comp.
0: <laughs> well, here's a question with regard to someone like Shedlong, right? Um, You mentioned you mentioned that he was converted from catcher to second base. Mm -hmm. Now, now, having having some familiarity with the catcher position, I say that you do not typically find particularly athletic specimens there. Um, However, among the tools that catchers tend to possess, one of them is a strong throwing arm, Mm -hmm. and if not necessarily much lateral mobility, and if I was going to put a guy. If I was going to take a guy off catcher and put him somewhere and it's not first base, I would think the third base would be the most likely destination uh, because he's got that arm. But again, these are just uh, sort of the generic catcher profile. Mm -hmm. However, I think you and I have both discussed, we've found instances where players have played either both catcher and second base or have converted from one to the other. Of course, Craig Biggio is the most famous, but... Maybe Car- Carlos uh, Ruiz
1: we've mentioned moving from
0: oh he, he second moved from base one to, to the other
1: behind the plate,
0: yeah, yeah uh Austin Barnes, of course uh yeah. plays when he's he's played second base in recent years, if not this year, I don't know, I haven't looked at his uh fielding register at the uh, this year, but um i that's surprising to me what i mean do, do you think there's any reason why that guy doesn't end up at third instead of second, I guess if you
1: prioritize second base and think that uh like on the on the defensive spectrum and think that he has capability of playing there because he has enough lateral range then i you'd probably try him there first uh,
0: but the uh, teams do prioritize it defensively i mean because i just from the, based still. on the yeah just based on the positional adjustments that we make for wins above replacement it it receives the second base receives the same value by that standard mm-hmm. as third base. Um, there certainly are types, though, isn't it? If a guy is like tall and hits home runs, then you put him at third base. If he's short and he, you know, strike strikes out less, maybe you put him at second base or something like that. There, I also think as Dave Camp,
1: as players age generally, they get slower, and I think that just points toward a transition from like second to third base. You know
0: what I mean? Oh, so you later later in the career. Like, yeah, you... it
1: just it seems if a guy is currently playing second base as he ages, it's more likely he moves to third base than the other way around. Than yeah. like an aging third base moving to second base. So I guess just on uh so maybe positionally the adjustment is statistically the same, but as far as bodies aging goes, it's just more likely for someone to flow from second to third than the other way.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe what that player loses In ladder mobility, first step, quickness, whatever. Uh, Maybe at the same time, he compensates for it by means of, I don't know, just sheer repetition. Um, Yeah. And uh, I don't know about if necessarily hands would do it, but just, yeah, maybe it's just a a fact, it's just repetition and uh, learning the position. So there's some kind of shortcuts um, that allow him to succeed defensively, even though he loses some of his physical tools.
1: Or they remain. Passable defensively while the scale sort of uh, leans a little more on the offensive side of things as they fill out and add power late in, late in their careers or later in their careers.
0: Yeah. I think what we're doing here, uh, Eric, is we're producing a number of hypotheses.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now we, we don't know the answer, do we? No. No.
1: We can make educated no. guesses, I guess. Which is yeah, that's guess. fine.
0: It's a type. It's a typing. Yeah, that's true. You made two. Now, was the second guess Whoa. you made was that educated as well?
1: I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think so.
0: All right, but yeah, you are. You're packing up. I'm packing up. Me. I'm going to be gone for a while,
1: which is fine. It's going to be in the hundreds here. But yeah, I'm going to go do. Uh, I'm going to do the ACC tournament because it's draft time, man, and it's been a lot of fun. And the sortable board is done, uh, and I submitted it to. David Appleman a few hours prior to us recording this this podcast. Oh wow! And I'm uh, finishing up the companion piece to run with the sortable board about the class as a whole and about some of the weird uh, idiosyncrasies in this class. This is kind of a weird draft class, um, so I've written about that specifically as it relates to the guys who are two way players mm-hmm. uh, and most notably Louisville first baseman slash left-handed pitcher brendan mckay who i'll also get to see at the acc tournament this week
0: oh yeah so right so you're flying out there not to cincinnati to kentucky really right and then you're going to drive to louisville so this is where the entire tournament takes place i imagine Mm -hmm. at at the camp is it just at the campus of university of louisville
1: it's at the uh it's at louisville slugger field oh so i don't know if that's the the bats is that where it always is I think so. I mean, I don't know if it's there every year, but I think How'd
0: you so. choose to go to this as opposed to?
1: It just has the most relevant draft prospects with McKay. Uh, there are a couple position players on Louisville, like Drew Ellis. Uh, the North Carolina prospects, JB Bukowskis, the pitcher, is probably going to go in the top 10. And the shortstop, Logan Warmuth is probably a first rounder. Brian Miller, their center fielder, is a second round type of, uh, college bat. Um, I came across a name today, Bruce Steele. Oh, that's an, I haven't heard that name yet. Plays for Wake Forest. <laughs> well, I'll see. Are they in it? I have to look.
0: Uh, I have no I idea. I think they're in
1: it. They've got Gavin Sheets and Stuart Fairchild who require evaluation as well.
0: Yeah, okay. So uh, I'm not going to throw all these names at you at the moment. But before we began talking, mm-hmm. I ran the, my – uh what is it what do I even call them maybe predictive stats or whatever just to uh organize in my mind uh the i guess at some level the at least the, the best performers in the in the a c c and if I could tell you this, probably not from well i mean there'd have to be some positional adjustment, I'm sure, but either drew Ellis or adam hazley hazley. Hazley. yeah, they're probably uh, one of one or the other of them is the top performer in the ACC this year. Hazley
1: Haysley's pretty sure bet to go in the top twenty picks. It looks like there's just there are very few college bats in this class, and even the ones mm-hmm. that there are, aren't necessarily scouting friendly finds. There are a lot mm-hmm. of first basemen. There are a lot of players who have performed this year after they were more or less passed over in last year's draft even though they were eligible um or went too low to sign so i think especially because a lot of the relevant college bats in the draft are from colleges where trackman data is being kept mm-hmm. i th- i think that the uh the analytics side of things on the amateur end is going to play a more significant role in this year's draft than is typical when you're scouting. Wait, so
0: tell me it. about, is, is it, is the ACC unique for this or is it also occurring in like the SEC or Pac-12, et cetera?
1: It's, it's going on all over the place, but certainly with this year's, certainly this year's first round, the college bats are predominantly from the ACC. Cause you have Smith and Hazley at Virginia. The North Carolina kids I mentioned, the Wake Forest kids that we've mentioned, and,
0: and the Smith that you um, that you just invoked—that's Pavin Smith, right? Okay, right. And who is a who has a weird profile? He doesn't strike out. I mean, he almost doesn't strike out.
1: Yeah, he's still in single-digit strikeouts for the season. Uh, mm-hmm. He homered yesterday
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: again. I think he's got more home runs than strikeouts this year now.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's affirmative. More home runs than strikeouts, so. and we've seen that
1: before. And we've seen it before from players who, in pro ball, don't hit for any power. Donnie Dewey's, uh, who's now in the Royals system after the Cubs traded him, had more home runs than strikeouts his draft year at North Florida, but that was in North Florida, not mm-hmm. Virginia, uh, in a conference where you're you faced off against two top five picks uh as pitchers in McKay right. Bukaskis. So yeah, uh he's he's weird. And then of course you have uh Matt Tice, uh last year's Angels first round pick out of UVA, who had like kind of a similar profile, right? And I guess maybe you'd have to sort of compare their their junior year statistics, but Thyce was another guy who like struck out sixteen total times as a junior at, at the University of Virginia and uh hasn't really done anything yet in in pro ball he's in the cal league and last i checked he's hitting like i don't know maybe 2 260 or something in the cal league
0: mm-hmm.
1: and because virginia is one of those schools that has a trackman and the teams have access to this data i'm working on it still uh unsuccessfully mm-hmm. to this point but I'm working on it uh like teams can look and say hey how does matt thice compare trackman wise with with Paven smith right and you can sort of make a judgment call because you had a, an extra year at this point to evaluate matt theis as a, a bat before power first base only college hitter um and that's what smith projects to be and i think you and i have i don't know if we recorded it or if we were just talking but it's just not college first basemen just don't do they just don't do well <laughs> they just don't pan out so you know there i've heard uh yeah, I've heard rumors of GMs in, uh, being in to see Smith. GMs with picks in the top ten uh, getting in to see him. And, of course, it's an efficient trip because hasley is, is there as well. And uh, you can get a look at him. Mm-hmm. And that just seems aggressive to me for a, a first-base-only college bat.
0: Hey, um, let me ask you this. <clears throat> yeah. There are, like, maybe – just a brief examination suggests there may be like five qualified batters in uh, the ACC who have struck out less than 10% of the time. Uh, it looks like all of them except one place for Virginia. Adam Hazley, just under uh, a strikeout rate just under 8%. Pavin Smith, the aforementioned Pavin, uh, Pavin Smith, 3%. 3.2%. Uh Then there's Tyler Lynn, in North Carolina who's a senior corner outfielder, not necessarily of great interest. Robbie Coman is a grad school catcher at Virginia. <laughs> um, he's only struck out four point eight percent of his at bats, and it's not like, I mean, he's also hitting. You know, well, I don't, he's not hitting the, for tons of power, but he has is an ISO over hundred. Uh, and let's see, Evan Mendoza is another one. He plays for NC State. I don't know anything about him. Cayman Richardson has only gotten uh, limited looks. Also plays for Virginia, though, 4.4% strikeout rate. And Nate Eikoff, Virginia, 6.9% strikeout rate. What's the deal? Oh, and Ernie Clement. Yeah, that's
1: who I was going to ask you about. That's another – because that's the other uh, UVA bat that sort of – uh, like a potential top 100 guy. So, wait, tell me
0: about Ernie Clement.
1: Er- He's just er- a oh, twitchy it? little uh, shortstop. He's kind of got – man, I don't know what his measurables are, but I bet it's like 5'9", 160 or something like that. Short arms, it is sort of like a David Eckstein build. Yeah. Um, but he can fly, man, and there's enough arm strength there that I think he can pass it short. Um, So if there's enough bat-to-ball skills there, then yeah, it's like a nice little utility profile. What was his strikeout rate? Did you get
0: to that, or did I cut yeah, you off? Yeah, two point seven percent. Oh my god. Yeah, and I mean he doesn't he doesn't hit for a lot of power, but the, these no. guys, um, they so so there appears to be to the degree that to the extent there can be in college, or or I don't even know if this is the right term. but there's like an organizational philosophy at some level. It seems that but way, doesn't it? Yeah, but if you if you had to, are, are we <laughs> we made any educated guesses recently? Because I'm about to. And about I'm about to force you to make one if you had to guess yeah because an idiot podcast host <laughs> forced you to would you say would you guess that u um, v a looks for players with at least for the collegiate level elite bat to ball skills, or do you think that somehow they're teaching something that is um fostering that skill in the uh among their their players
1: I don't have firsthand knowledge I think that some of it just might be a recent small sample thing I mm-hmm. think in general across college baseball that the priority is contact as far as the coaches are concerned uh, places like Stanford which we've talked about on the podcast before have institutional philosophies about hitting that prioritize contact and it wouldn't surprise me if UVA was doing the same thing. It's just easier to keep your kids swings simple and still have them hit for some power because the bats allow for it. Right. Um and I think it's just, and obviously defense at the college level is not as good as it is in pro ball generally. So putting the ball in play has more value in college baseball than it does in pro ball. So like I understand where colleges uh are coming from on that end. But, like, if you look at recent UVA hitters, and there are a lot of them that were high draft picks uh, Joe McCarthy, Mike Pappy. Uh, oh, Mike
0: Pappy, yeah.
1: Was, I don't know how, Brandon Cogswell, I think, was like a seventh rounder, maybe.
0: I love, do you do, I just want to say, I love when you do this. Brandon when Downs.
1: For, oh, <laughs> just remembering. These all names that you've, like, are sort of, uh, have, Hidden in the recesses of your mind for the last two years since you've last thought about them?
0: Sort of. I just love when you pull, when you pull, uh, <laughs> previous, you know, like, um, former college hitters just out of your ass.
1: But, like, uh, Derek Fisher's another guy. Like, none of these guys strike me as high contact, except for probably Pappy, as, right. as this sort of hitter that we're discussing that UVA has had over the last two years. So I'm not sure if, if it's something that the organization, or that the, you know that whose' coaching staff preaches uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it was because I just think it's something that's kind of pervasive through college baseball in general
0: yeah but somehow they seem to have <clears throat> perhaps it's uh, it's always maybe it's always been a focus or a possible focus but hasn't UVA's uh, sort of uh, cachet in college baseball increased re- in recent years
1: I think so yeah yeah they've had a re- their program has been excellent. And they've just refilled for the last three or four years, um, you know that that one obviously that one college World Series year, uh, or uh, what did they? I think they won one year. They were number two. They they're runners up one year, and uh, yeah, I, it's an excellent program. And I think of the teams, there there are a handful of teams. Vanderbilt does it. Vanderbilt recruits nationally. Uh, Vanderbilt, North Carolina, and Virginia. The three of them go into the Northeast where there's just not a strong college baseball program and pillage all the talent from Pennsylvania, <laughs> New Jersey, and New York. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think that they're especially good at that. I think if you look at some of the better prospects from Virginia over the last couple of years, like Fisher and uh McCarthy, like they're Pennsylvania high schoolers that just weren't going to sign uh and ended up going to college for three years. So I think that that's – yeah, I think they've done well. It's a, it's a great college program.
0: Now, I certainly know that um – um because you mentioned Vanderbilt, and I think there are a number of instances of them um, signing Northeast guys. What was the third school you mentioned?
1: North Carolina.
0: Oh, okay. All right. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't necessarily know that. I know that uh, Matt Harvey played for them, and isn't he from the the, metro, the New York Metro area?
1: I'm not sure where Harvey's from.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So hey you're going to the tournament then? Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go um,
1: and then I fly out of there and I'm going to do some stuff in the northeast while I'm home for a wedding. Not your own wedding? Not my own wedding, no. My cousin's wedding. So that will probably be mostly pro stuff. But then on my way out of Pennsylvania, I'm going to fly to a regional and stop at a regional between Pennsylvania and Phoenix
0: yeah wait, wait i there was there I had mentioned some other guys I was going to ask you about one oh, of yeah, them yeah. was one of them was drew Ellis so mm-hmm. drew Ellis um he plays for Louisville on that same Louisville team with uh, Brendan McKay whom you've mentioned, and he's hit very well this year uh, I mean just the most basic things he does not uh, strike out very often and he hits uh, his uh, power on contact is is fantastic um i, I do remember him being i think last year he played m- more third base, but i I think he's he's um also played some first base this year too, and I wonder if that is a is an indictment of his athleticism or defensive skill.
1: He's a big guy, it's like six three I think he's listed at two ten or two fifteen already uh so yeah, I think that there's i think a lot of scouts have him projected to third base with a chance that he stays at third because of his size already. Um, but there's there are good bat to ball skills there. I've spoken with multiple scouts who are impressed at his ability to drive the ball uh, on the inner half from like sort of get his move his hands in and still get the barrel on the ball. Uh, And it's just like a, a nice combination of bat control and some natural loft. And yeah, I mean if he can stay at third base, then that guy is a good prospect. But I think he's like. I'm pretty sure he's a 30-runner already. So, yeah, there's some risk there, obviously. One of, the, one of the overarching themes of this year's draft is just the lack of college bats. So a guy like mm-hmm. this is, is the type that's going to move up. And, indeed, I think uh, more than half of the top college bats who are going to go in the first three rounds or so of the draft are, like, first-base-only guys. Or uh, there's risk that they're first-base-only guys. So you know, Ellis. If you everyone is being evaluated with that uh, flaw in mind, then Ellis moves up closer to the top of that group because, as you said, he has performed, uh, and there there's some some eyeball opinion that backs it up.
0: Okay. Now, um, you you mentioned Brendan McKay already. For those who are not familiar with Brendan McKay, he is a first baseman for Louisville and also a pitcher. <clears throat> he is. Um, by pretty much any standard, he's one of the top three or five hitters in the ACC. Uh, you could probably also make the same claim about him, him as a pitcher, one of the top three. You mentioned J.B. Bukowskis, um, who, I don't know, probably throws harder, right? A righty from North Carolina. He does. So
1: yeah. yeah. Let's uh, talk about this McKay thing, because this is what yeah. I was in the middle of like writing as we started the podcast, and I think it's... It's the most interesting single issue in this year's draft. I thought if you had asked me what I thought about this whole situation a couple months ago, I would have said, this guy's a pitcher. And I have, you know, in chats and stuff, I would just have said, this guy's a pitcher. It'll work itself out. Um, and he's going to get drafted as a pitcher. And the most interesting thing about this draft is going to be the complete lack of underslot deals because of the way the slotting system has changed. Um, but <laughs> even as we approach the day not only is there disagreement among teams in the top five about whether mckay is a pitcher or a first baseman but there's disagreement within organizations about whether he's a pitcher or a hitter and so i have been and i think correctly dismissive of <laughs> of the idea shut up of the <laughs> of the idea that you can legitimately develop any of these guys i don't care who it is brandon mckay Shohei Ohtani, i don't care that you can develop them as true two-way uh, players. Like it's a, this cute little hypothetical thing. And I know that in this day and age when you have to turn out daily baseball analysis content, like hypotheticals are a nice place to live. But just being on the backfields every day and seeing the kind of time that it takes just to barely develop players as one way, like viable at, at either thing – like there's just no – I just can't see a scenario where uh, a player, other than in a limited role the way Christian Betancourt is trying to do it, uh, you can develop a two-way player. I don't see a situation where a pitcher is an effective mid-rotation starter and on the days he's not pitching, an effective middle-of-the-order hitter. I can't envision a scenario like that. Yeah. But with
0: McKay – you think it would be more likely – well, here's a question. Yeah. Uh, because he's, cause he's a very good um, – college player, do you think that it would be more likely that it, uh, that a high school or a college player could do it? Or do you think that that doesn't really factor in?
1: That's an interesting question I hadn't thought about yet. So I guess if the main issue is the time it takes to develop,
0: well... Because the one advantage with McKay is that he's proven that he can do both in a context where there's... You know he's performed. I guess is the point. It's not just like he has the tools to do both. Right. He's performed adequately at both, at a at a level. The ACC, which is you know one of the the biggest, uh, the most important, uh, or most competitive uh, baseball conferences. So there's a there's an ability for organizations to kind of get a sense to be able to translate that both I guess both from a scouting point of view and a statistical one to um, you know, to to the major leagues i have a better idea i'm not saying it's it's uh, without its flaws
1: yeah i think that's an interesting argument uh i'm not sure i'd agree with you that he's proven that he can do both since of late his stuff on the mound has been down okay and some people are uh have the are of the opinion that it's because he's doing both that he's starting to wear down mm. and uh so i'm not sure that You can necessarily say he's done it on the pitching end because the workload – he hasn't had a full season's workload as a pitcher and a hitter uh, because it's just a college season and not a full pro season. Um, And I think there's some statistical doubt about uh, what he's capable of doing as a hitter against better pitching because I don't know if you saw my tweet uh, about his splits. No, I didn't. Okay, so what Louisville's tweet, website. I, this is, this is Louisville's website is nice. They have the conference and non-conference splits right smack on the website, so any so any moron could look this up, and I did. <laughs> uh, Apparently, but, yeah. So he yeah. at the time I tweeted, and these have since changed. Uh, against the ACC, he had 103 plate appearances on the year, three home three home runs, and a 188 ISO, and against non-conference uh pitchers he had 102 plate appearances 12 home runs and a 519 iso yeah and so some of that is colored uh with a little bit more contrast because a lot of your midweek games are against non-conference opponents and midweek starters are just worse uh but like i think there's some there's a, that's at least a little bit of a statistical red flag that about the quality of competition and his ability to hit against it at least right now, but of course his entire projection as a hitter is largely abstract because teams that like him as a hitter think there's more there once he focuses on hitting full time so but that, you could that say, seems
0: like a lot that seems like a lot to surmise um, if you I mean if in in a first like you know if you're talking like the first pick in the draft or the first one of the first five picks you know what I mean like we we assume that he, will get, that he will improve once he's given the opportunity to hit full-time.
1: Right, and I but, agree with you that, that that's an interesting way to look at it too. But there are, te- there are certainly teams – there are multiple teams in the top five that have him in as a hitter. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But here's – ultimately, the thing that I think you can do with McKay initially – and teams have done this with two-way players in the past for different reasons. Uh, Casey Kelly. Remember Casey Kelly.
0: Yeah, I did, have we have we discussed Casey Kelly, or maybe I did, did it with Dave Cameron? But yeah, this right. So, the, like Casey uh, Kelly
1: yeah. was run out as a shortstop initially as a pro, essentially mm-hmm. to prove to Casey Kelly, who wanted to play shortstop, that you can't do this, <laughs> <laughs> and you need to pitch. So with McKay, because his innings are going to be limited over the summer anyway, you could pitch him once in a while to limit his innings, and then push him aggressively as a hitter into full season ball, maybe even like high A or something, and evaluate him for the rest of the season as a hitter. Because everyone sort of agrees, and I think that these two-way guys need to be evaluated on both sides of the ball, but independently. So in other words, if you just evaluate Brandon McKay as a pitcher, he's a top 10 pick. If you just evaluate him individually as a hitter, he's a top 10 pick. And you might have a preference, but you don't, and I think a lot of orgs know this, you don't know for sure which one he's supposed to do, especially because the hitting aspect of it exists so much in the abstract. Mm-hmm. So I think that you have the opportunity for the rest of the summer to continue to evaluate him as both and ultimately decide on which one you think is better because Louisville, uh, is not one of, th- one of these schools that has a track man at the, at their facility. So you have like, you can collect more data on that end. You can push the kid against high A pitching and see how he performs against uh, what is approaching upper level pitching, uh, and you just have more time to evaluate him on both sides of the ball.
0: Well, let me ask you this: if, if just Brendan Mickey, just as a hitter, do you think that he ought to go ahead of Drew Ellis?
1: Yeah. Hmm. It's yeah. there are people that have seven a seven on the raw power. McKay yeah. and like a future six on the bat <laughs> yeah. so it's like it's the best bat if that, if you agree with that and I'm not quite that I have a, a 55 on the bat and a future seven on the raw and a six on the game power so like that's you know that's a three and a half win player or something like that at first base Yeah, that's a top ten pick
0: yeah I don't know. I'm, just, I'm, I'm very skeptical. About I know, and so and players. you and I
1: have both been you and I have been talking about this draft either on the podcast or just on the phone mm-hmm. a lot for the last couple of weeks. And you and I have yeah. both been skeptical, but I keep hearing from people who have seen McKay do both, and they're just like, "I like him better as a hitter." And part of it is because his stuff is has been kind of down. You know, yeah. it was like ninety ninety three early in the season, and it's been a lot of eighty eight ninety one of late. He's working on a cutter. Some people think that's why there's been a drop in V-low. That's
0: so let me ask anecdotal. you this question. Like, it's weird, two, man. It's a weird draft. Two years ago, A.J. Ellis in the SEC for Kentucky was both – I mean he was one of the best pitchers and one of the best hitters. No, Who is this? Not A.J. Ellis. A.J. Reed? A.J. Reed. Almost. A.J. Ellis has been in college for a while. A.J. Reed was one of the best – Yeah, I can hear it, but It's fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry everyone. He's one of the so he's one of the top he was one of the top pitchers and one of the top hitters in the SEC. He won he won the Golden Spikes Award, I believe. Yeah. AJ Reed. And um but here's the thing. He hasn't pitched as a professional, or if he has, it's only been in like a position player situation, to the best of my knowledge. And as a hitter, he's been relegated to first base. Now he was a monster. He was a monster in the SEC. Yeah, a monster. He was a monster, but he was a monster who was relegated to first base, right? Um, and so, what does that mean for him as a professional player? What does that mean for his major league prospects? For you know, McKay? he's a good triple. He's a good AAA player. Oh, for yeah, for Reed. Yeah, and it's weird yeah.
1: because like I was not really on AJ Reed. <laughs> I don't know hmm. what to tell you. It's a weird situation. It's a weird situation. I still kind of prefer McKay as an arm. Um, but like I said, the people I've been talking to, and I'm I'm more in the hitting camp than I was a couple weeks ago.
0: Well, Everyone. I would like to go on the record, okay. Eric Langenhagen. Having very little actual acumen for scouting players, but having some experience... Uh, weighting their offensive versus their defensive contributions. Because I think that Brendan McKay, even as a first-round pick, is um, is misguided if you think he's a hitter. Wow. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Who are the college think... bats in this class that you like?
0: Because it's, <laughs> well, like it's that, all first baseman. Total... <laughs> Let me ask you, well, so I don't know if I can say that I like any of them, sure. uh, because I don't really know anything about them, but uh, so you mentioned Adam Hazley for Virginia. You're going to see him, presumably. Yeah. Uh, Adam Hazley is intriguing to me in that he's exhibited um pretty good power, uh, but while um, and he makes tons of contact and he also plays center field. That's to me. That's very promising to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Wait. Do you think? Do you think that? These same teams that would take Brendan McKay as a hitter, do you think they would take him ahead of Adam Hazley? Oh yeah. No yeah. way, really? Uh huh. <laughs> That's crazy to me.
1: I mean, the whole <laughs> reason that you that the teams up top have McKay in as a hitter is because they believe that once he's focusing on it, that he'll be the sort of player that I've talked about.
0: You've been dis- discussing. Now, let yeah. me ask you. All right, so to Adam Hazley again, he would be my choice above Brendan McKay. That's my choice. I'm an imposter. But anyway, I'm allowed to have a choice. Yeah. Let me ask you Joe Dunnand. Joe Mm Dunnand. Joe Dunnand, I believe, is he not the cousin of Alex Rodriguez? Is he? Well, let me say something. I believe Joe Dunnand is the cousin of Alex Rodriguez. And he's also the shortstop for NC State. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: No. Allow me to rephrase let me let me to revise my comment joe dunnan is is the nephew of arod yeah is that all right
1: uncle arod
0: yeah uncle arod and he's a big he's a big guy who plays shortstop for NC state yeah he um did. and i think he won uh i don't know if it was the a c c or uh some he went to, he went some sort of home run derby. He's been hitting fantastically this year.
1: Yeah, I, that's another guy who's got like big, big power. There's just questions about his ultimate defensive home. Yeah. As you said, he's big.
0: Right. I think that with a collegiate player, there's always going to be questions about his defensive home. Because in theory, if he had the tools to play shortstop, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be in college. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, those guys typically get drafted and signed.
0: Yeah, you don't tend to find you don't tend to find elite shortstop defense because elite shortstop defense or I guess elite like center field defense that usually requires some combination of what like quick twitch or hands or right
1: and grace scouting decision makers will correctly pat themselves on the back and say that we find most of these guys in high school and that's why they don't get to college.
0: Yeah, and I think that perhaps either you or I have <clears throat> Uh, again, we've submitted a, a hypothesis to the effect that maybe scouts are, are improving, which is what's made the college – drafting college players more difficult.
1: Yeah, and I think um, – I don't know. I just keep going back to the TrackMan thing because I think it's going to loom. I think it's going to
0: loom well, What's, tra- years, what's so. TrackMan going to tell is it, you? You've mentioned it, yeah a number of times. I'm going to say too many. There but, are just
1: um, – there are a handful – of schools that have it at their facility, and this year the overlap of the top college hitting prospects and the schools that have the TrackMan just seems to be at like this weird uh, eclipse level event. <laughs> like Jake Berger at Missouri State. Missouri State has TrackMan. Uh, the UVA hitters, uh, Brian Miller at North Carolina, Tra- they all have TrackMan. Um, and it's I don't know, it's just. Pay attention to the teams that draft these guys mm-hmm. because I think that uh, – I know we're always looking – I know I am just for when you're writing about the draft. You're always looking to attach teams to players that are their type,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and now there's a new type that you can be into. The track man guys, look at what Pittsburgh has done. Like, I think that's a clear indication of their priorities for amateur talent acquisition in the draft. Has to do with like I think TrackMan is heavily involved there. So yeah, it's just one of those years. Well, where so what's an example of a
0: like. player that that Pittsburgh has selected? Um, who Will would, Craig. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, All right, Tell me about Will Craig. Did, wasn't he? He was a, an ACC guy, wasn't he? Uh-huh. Wake Did Forest, Wake first and Forest, third yeah. base.
1: Uh, also was Wake Forest's closer. Okay. Um, Travis McEckern
0: and so, wait, uh, but what, what did Will? What did Will Craig well, like, do? I'm, you think
1: I just have heard rumors that his exit velos at Wake were excellent. Mm-hmm. Um Of course, he's not hitting for any power in like low A right now. Yeah. Uh, what else? Like um, their their second round pick last year, whose name is escaping me because he didn't sign. The kid went to TCU. The lefty Nick Dolo. Nicola Dolo was like this tall, lanky lefty with a very visually pleasing. Rainbow curveball mm-hmm. that uh, I think if you like dug up the TrackMan data for it, it would be pretty uh, pretty elite as far as the spin rate goes. And I'm not, not saying spin, that like spin rate. Yeah, I'm not saying that these are ironclad ways of evaluating amateur players, but it's just another data point that we didn't have, we didn't used to have. Um, so yeah, like I just think there are some examples of some teams that where where they look at it.
0: Man, I can't believe a team would pick Brendan McKay as a hitter yeah. above all these players. But those like those I players. said, I
1: just think that there's – with McKay, I think there's time. You have extra time to figure out which one is the right one because you have the rest of the summer when his, lim, his innings will be limited to have him do both and continue yeah. to evaluate.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, – I think that this is constantly a problem <clears throat> and – most of my evidence, my evidence is largely anecdotal, but but I feel like there are only so many examples, so um, that limits the, the sort of um, more rigorous work one could do on it. But I feel like there are a number of examples where a team has drafted, has w- what, what I would suggest is overdrafted a two-way player because they are smitten with or they are, Seduced by the possibility that he could do, he could do both. I mean, not at the same time, but they think like, think of how talented this guy is. Right. he's an elite hitter, and he's a great pitcher. Simultaneously, he. I mean, if one doesn't work out, we'll try him at the other. But there are so many examples of guys who can't, who just can't do, who can't do either that well. You know. What
1: yeah, I mean? I'm with you. I think that uh, certainly, it seems as though my readership. Uh, the stuff, some of the chat questions I get, like it does feel like the public at least is, uh, a little intoxicated by the idea of a two-way player in a way that has them, uh, intrigued by guys in ways that are maybe they shouldn't be. Yeah. Yep. But most of the people with teams I talk to realize like at some point it's going to be one or the other. It's just with McKay, no one knows which one is the right one. It's the pitcher. Okay. I Like I said, I'm still like leaning that way, man. I really am. Yeah. I really am. But like, okay, so, and I'll be writing about this as well, but look at McKay and the guy who I think is the second best college lefty in the draft class, David Peterson from Oregon. Where's David Peterson from? Oregon. Oh. Uh, I think Peterson's <laughs> a top 10 talent in this draft. Okay. He's a... Huge, like six seven or six eight lefty who throws strikes, and the fact that a guy that size is already throwing strikes is particularly of note. You know, we talk about, and I've written about a lot uh, of guys that that size, that big six seven, six foot six, who don't learn to throw strikes until they're in their mid twenties because it takes forever for them to sort of grow into their limbs and learn how to repeat their delivery. And Tyler Glass now is the uh, prime example of this, of the guys who like the scouting community is still waiting on figure it out because this stuff is so incredible and they refuse to give up on these guys and put them in the bullpen until they've reached that their mid twenties, you know, the Andrew Miller type of late twenties uh, conversion to a bullpen because you just hold out hope forever and ever that they're going to figure it out. Well, Peterson is that yeah. size and already has. Okay. And it's, com- if you're comparing him stuff wise, pitch by pitch with McKay, McKay has been like 88 to 93 during the course of this season as a whole, and so has Peterson. And Peterson's fastball has more movement, has more sync to it than McKay's does. Uh, I've talked to scouts who think McKay's secondaries are better, that McKay has a chance for an above average plus slider, that he has a chance for an above average plus changeup. And yeah, I think McKay has, uh, I think there's a chance for a plus curveball there. Uh, and I haven't projected as such, but I don't know that the changeup projection is as good. And I think as far as command goes, it's maybe a half-grade better on McKay's side. So, like, they compare as pitchers pretty similarly. Uh, But, like, no one's talking about David Peterson going in the top five as a pitcher. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird
0: draft. What do you think about Evan White? (laughs) I'm smitten with Evan White. I know you are. So Evan White, uh, I'll say what I think about who he is, and then you correct me. Evan White, a first baseman for Kentucky, which is an SEC school, uh, junior, obviously draft eligible. Did I say first baseman? Yep. Yeah, <clears throat> he, along with teammate Riles, Riles, Mahan, 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 <laughs> Mahan, have produced uh, two of the three top lines in the SEC. Did you know that? No. By the maybe predictive stats. You know, Mayhan's actually hitting for more power. And I'm saying his name, you know, making me uncomfortable. But but do you know who's the, absolutely the best hitter in the SEC? Like by so much. Rooker. Yeah, Brent Rooker. So here's the thing. If you're going to take Evan White, you're going to take Evan White over Brent Rooker? <laughs> yeah, I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I understand that too. I mean Rooker's actually I think he he's a year older, right? Yeah, was Rooker was person. uh yeah.
1: like a, he was draft eligible last year. Yeah. He went back to school because he was drafted in I don't know, like the 28th round or something like that, 36th mm-hmm. round, something really late. And he went back to school and now he might be a top 50 pick. Because yeah. like Carson said he's mashing. He's mashing. He's ma- mashing in yeah. the SEC. And again, it's probably a first base only guy. And with White, White's weird because he – not only is he a college first baseman, but he's a plus runner. And he's a plus runner that some scouts want to see tried in center field, which is intriguing. But some scouts won't hear that because he's already arguably a plus defender at first. Mm. And he squared up Alex Fiedo a bunch this weekend. <laughs> like
0: a lot. <laughs> That's and- – you know – you know who was one player... Because I know that you were very smitten with uh, Cody Bellinger. Yeah. I think who was generally regarded as a first-base prospect in the Dodgers system. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I don't, I don't think he's played much of that position at all uh, since joining the major leagues. think He's primarily been used as a corner outfielder. Um, which is something I think that you had mentioned at the time. You said... Um, he's capable of playing multiple positions. Um, and in fact, so he's played—he's played first base eleven total times, seven starts. Cody Miller of the major leagues, but he's played left field. He's made sixteen starts there. And like you had said, he, "Yeah, he plays first base technically, but he has—he uh, has—he's—he's he's quite athletic." Yeah, and could handle other positions.
1: Yeah, there were scouts who thought he could play center field, and he's gotten reps there uh, pretty consistently in the minors as a pro.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's that's just, a strange prospect. I yeah. mean, you don't, you
0: don't, you don't hear many guys playing both center field and first base. Well, Myers like sort of confusingly made that, but it was mostly, he was mostly a first baseman when he was playing center field for the Padres, mm-hmm. but he, he was a out. catching prospect at one point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he's, a, he's a strange, strange player. Um, uh, Trying to think of other guys who've played center and first base. Anyway, it's not it's a uh, it's rare because why why are you not playing corner outfield? That's right. the point. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Cody Bellinger has already been worth uh, a win, just over a win in 100 plate appearances. He's been
1: what do you think awesome. About that, I haven't watched a single yeah. Dodgers game since he's been called up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I know. But he's you believe been, me, right? He's been awesome. Yeah. I watched his bro. I've seen his brother more than I've seen Cody Bellinger in the last month. Who's his brother? His brother Cole is a pitcher and infielder at Hamilton High School here in New Jersey, and he just pitched. Uh, he started and won his second straight
0: state championship start. Wow,
1: it's a good it's a good baseball family.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Hey. <clears throat> Where are we now? Uh, oh, yeah. So we're, we're closing in on an hour, and I had I still okay. had other... I had a question for you about a couple of professional guys, professional minor leaders, and I want to make sure I ask them. Um, it's two players who have uh, appeared in the French Five in consecutive weeks, and um, they're unique to the French Five, or they're rare. Uh, it's rare for players like this to... To make appearances in the front trackers, I believe they were both selected in the first round, which is not common. But they're not on anyone's uh, top 100 list. The first one, I'll do the first one. It's uh, Detroit prospect Bo Burrows. Mm. Uh, he was a 22nd overall pick in 2015. 22nd overall pick, of course, would suggest that he has some – and this was out of high school – that he has some um, physical tools. He's performing excellently this year. Um, he had only sort of a middling – season last year in terms of performance um, but uh, everything about him seems to suggest that he's quite promising Well, what, um, except for the fact that and I was talking with someone I know in the game who said you can't put Bo Burroughs in your French 5 and I said well I have one criteria which is that he can't have appeared on one of five different prospect lists and he didn't So what I'm attempting to do is uh, just to to highlight his performance because guys who are absent from top 100 lists tend to receive less attention than those who have appeared on them. But the other thing is, I have to say, well, regardless of uh, what you're saying about how good he is, he still has not garnered the attention of a top 100 prospect. And even if you're like, uh, like pitchers, who rank like seventy five to one hundred on the mm-hmm. top one hundred list? They're usually good for like barely half a win a year in the major leagues. So that's fringe to me anyway. If you say this guy's gonna get you a half a win a year in the majors, that doesn't seem very promising, does it?
1: No, not really. That's a guy no, who no. that's a guy who's like a, a forty future value on the prospect lists and is like at double or triple A. That's what those guys project to be. It's yeah, important right. to have them in your organization, but no, it's not going to get you all super excited.
0: Yeah. So, <clears throat> and pitchers, of course, are riskier than hitters, right? Um, which is probably why that's the case for pitchers. So, uh, so tell me about Bo Burroughs. Unload your uh, your Bo Burroughs file from your your mind database.
1: He's sort of been in flux over the last couple seasons. Is sort of what type of pitcher he was going to be, if you saw Mm -hmm. Bo Burrows at the beginning of 2016, like in spring training or early in April and May, do you think that he was going to be like a ground ball sinker slider type of back end starter? But he was like 93, 96 this spring, and he's got like a a hard cutter slider in in the upper 80s. It's very much in vogue right now. And that's new. That's a new pitch for him. And he was your pretty standard right-handed prep pitching prospect, you know, the hard-throwing, somewhat physically projectable righty with some breaking ball feel. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's developed a new weapon, and so he's missing more bats. And I think I had a 40. A 45 on him on the Tigers list, I want to say. And the 45 future value types, especially for the young guys, the guys who are a year removed from high school uh, or the young Latin American prospects, that's like the high – if you see me put a 45 on a guy at the lower levels, that's like your high upside uh, type of prospect.
0: Just because they're so far away.
1: Yeah. They're not quite 50s. Those are the guys that – the 50s and better are the guys who get top 100 consideration – those are the guys who you think have a really good shot to be average average or better big leaguers the forty fives are the guys who have some boomer bust in them yet that's high school pitchers, that's young like uh right field traditional right field profile with the power and the strikeouts uh those guys are are the forty fives and Burroughs is having the sort of season where like he has firmly moved the needle upward and is probably uh a midsummer top one hundred update type
0: of prospect great. Great. You did it. Eric, that was a great explanation. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I'm a professional.
0: Yeah, you are. <laughs> For uh, a year now, it's
1: been a year since I... Is that right? Since I put pen to paper.
0: Well, let me... Uh, uh, Join the
1: scourge. Uh, uh,
0: <laughs> allow Allow me to hold uh, my praise, uh, my full praise, until I ask you about the second player. Uh, drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2014, 24th overall, shortstop Cole Tucker. Shortstop... Cold Sucker. Yeah. He's hitting quite well. Uh, and what else? He's uh, he's only, he's a 20-year-old at high A. Right. Okay? Um, he's got a better-than-average strikeout rate. He's a, got a slightly better-than-average isolated uh, slugging. So you say, well, he is not uh, elite by either measure, but to be league average at that age is quite good. To play To do that and play shortstop is quite good. Mm-hmm. And to do that and to have already recorded – uh, twenty six stolen bases and thirty two attempts is is quite, very quite good. Very it's very quite good. It's very quite good. Yeah. Uh, good. So tell me about uh, please. Would you? do um, Yeah. Here is another guy where the Tucker's physical class.
1: projection has started to bear fruit. Uh, Tucker was uh, another Arizona high schooler, and um. Yeah, I've talked to the scouts since I've moved out here who were very high on Tucker and did some background on him with the Four Corners guys when I wrote the Pirates list. And he was another 45 future value on the Pirates list because, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was, it's a very projectable frame. 6'3", 185, I think he was listed at. And scouts gave him a good chance to stay at shortstop. Uh, polished actions there. An above average runner. Despite his size, and even though as he fills out, he's likely to slow down a little bit, there's enough arm strength there, and, and as you alluded to earlier in the pod, uh, as you gain reps and just become more comfortable and efficient there, you can stay at shortstop now, even though you're just an average runner. And I'd argue that you could, especially with batted ball data, you can stay at shortstop nowadays if you're a 40 runner. Uh, so he projects a shortstop, and it's, it, the, the lack of physicality, uh, has, watered down and I think injuries too have watered down his offensive output um and he's a switch hitter whose right-handed swing was especially raw and I'd be interested in knowing what his splits were this year but yeah uh, it's like he's it sounds like he's starting to grow into his body and make more authoritative contact and he's another guy who has uh has started to move the needle and indeed as I did the pirates list over the winter there were scouts that liked him more than Kevin Newman uh, and again, doing the background with the area guys here in the four corners newman was in was in our area he was a u of a high sc- uh college shortstop so uh yeah there's um there's pretty significant upside there too if he continues to grow into his frame and hit for even more power and uh yeah he's he's a very interesting guy i don't know if i'm he'd probably be in like the honorable mention of the top 100 at this point but he's certain he's certainly making an argument and he's running well. I think, what does he have? Yeah. Yeah, he has like 20 yeah. sto- st- stolen bases last I checked this season in 40 yeah. games.
0: He's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty good. I declare it. You declare it. You know who else is uh, pretty good? It looks, it looks pretty good because we're talking about one Pittsburgh infielder. Uh, and uh, Cole Tucker, and you mentioned Kev- Kevin Kramer? Newman as well. But Kramer is yeah. uh, going He's going insane.
1: Yeah. Every time I check uh, a – Altoona box score it's like he's 3 for 4, 2 for 2 with a walk and Do you know his? He's basically having the career that we thought Kevin Newman was going to have.
0: <laughs> his his uh ground ball rate uh between 2015-2016 was basically 55%, right? By the way,
1: all the minor league batted ball data is on Fangraphs now. Yeah, it's quite helpful going it? back multiple years. You want to see yeah. if your favorite prospect can hit the ball in the air and as part of the fly ball revolution go look at Bobby Bradley's fly ball percent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> boy. Fan
0: oh boy. Well, you can look at uh, Kevin Kramer's too. It yeah. was a uh, 55% each of the last two seasons and this year it's down to 35%. Wow.
1: Yeah. I did not know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he cut 20% 20% off uh, 20 percentage points I should say. And do you know who else? Uh, I don't know if he's back from injury. He got uh he was injured. Do you know to uh I Apologies for pronunciation. Tsu Wei Lin, the shortstop prospect, yeah. in the Sox system. Yeah. <clears throat> he has routinely uh, recorded ground ball rates in the 50 to 55% range. This year, Eric Longanagan, as a 23 year old in the uh, AA Eastern League, he's cut his ground ball rate to just 30%. 30, 31%. He Weird. has an isolated slugging over 200. Su <laughs> Lin does? Su Lin, yeah. I saw that yeah. guy
1: for fall like uh, entire fall league duration. I don't think I saw him hit a ball out of the infield.
0: Yeah, well, he said three home Weird. runs already in eighty-five plate appearances. Is
1: there a way we can query to see who has in the minor leagues at the end of the year has most drastically improved their fly ball percentage? That'd yeah, be interesting to write just, about.
0: Yeah, I think if you you talk to talk to Jeff Zimmerman. All right, he's good at that.
1: No one steal it. <laughs> if you're listening to this,
0: yeah, no one's listening. It's all right. Hey.
1: I don't know if I feel like Eric. writing it, but someone will. <laughs> yeah.
0: Eric. What's up? You've, uh, uh, you've fulfilled your obligation to the the program.
1: All right. I got to go back.
0: Yeah. I got to go lay down and enter a coma. Just for fun. Oh, man. All right. Hey, uh, well stick around for a second, but for the purposes of the con- our conversation here... Uh, let me say thank you, Eric Longanagan. You're welcome. That has been Eric Longenagan. He's the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Tessouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.